0: Hey guys, welcome to our first episode of WZIP Entertainment Rebooted.
1: woo Alright!
0: So today, we have three awesome segments prepared for y'all. First, Natalie's going to help us break down the first two episodes of Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Yes, I am, and I'm excited to be here. Then, I'm going to give you the rundown on the new Dahmer series on Netflix and let you know if it's worth the watch. And finally, Sava's going to wrap it up with some esports, and the wordle for today september 29th
1: oh you know it you know esports all the news that's happening with our uh favorite you know akron zips the esports teams and obviously today being september the 29th wordle number 467 you won't want to miss it all right so natalie you watched rings of power you know the lord of rings show uh as someone who is not you know the biggest lord of rings you know connoisseur myself you know i mean i watched you know the newer frodo lord of the rings stuff but what drew your attention to the show like what was interesting about the first two episodes that you're like oh my gosh i need to talk about this i gotta scream it from the rooftops
2: well lord of the rings is like my favorite fandom ever middle earth everything related i love the hobbits i love the lord of the rings it is my favorite thing on the planet so of course when word came out that amazon was going to make another series based in the second age of middle earth i was absolutely going to watch it it is the most It is the thing that I am most interested in watching right now. I'm looking forward to it every Friday when it's released. I'm definitely looking forward to watching episode 6 tomorrow. And so Rings of Power is set in the Second Age, thousands of years before The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and is based loosely on Tolkien's books and their appendices. They do not have the rights to the Silmarillion, so the lore is spotty here and there so
1: so there may be some discrepancies between like the movies and whatnot has already been done versus what's going on now
2: oh absolutely definitely and that's yeah that is a big thing in the fandom right now they usually as a whole are not too keen on the rings of power for several reasons there's some um, complaints about casting choices there's the lore discrepancies of how characters are portrayed there's obviously the new characters which they kind of have to do because if you're not going to have the rights to do The Second Age and your show's in The Second Age, you kind of have to do something with the show. So you are going to have to start making things up. That doesn't really bother me too much, but there is definitely a lot of fan backlash in that respect. Fair enough. Okay, so the first episode is called Shadow of the Past, and that premiered, in our, that premiered on September 2nd. And it begins with a prologue, much like the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit did. And the prologue is set in Valinor, which is the, like, Blessed Realm, paradise, home of the Valor kind of thing. And they are, like, the deities of Middle-earth. They're second only to their main deity, who is, like, Eru Iluvatar is what he's called.
1: I would not guess that's how you pronounce that. I am horrible (laughs) with names. I could tell you straight up, like, if you put a list of names in front of me, I'd be like, uh... Got Eru Iluv- Iluvatar? <laughs> Ilumatar, I-, 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 I, I would have probably said.
2: Oh, you don't know the half of it. There are some names that are spelled with a C E, and it's yeah. pronounced with a K.
1: Oh gosh. So oh, it'll God. look like
2: Celebrian <laughs> or um, like Celebrimbor is like a character in Lord of the Rings, but it'll be pronounced Celebrian or Celebrimbor, and that's how it's pronounced. And it like you have to listen to it on audiobook, or you would never get it. However, I do think in one edition, I don't know exactly what book it was in, where, like, there was actually, like, a pronunciation guide. Like, Tolkien yeah. wrote a pronunciation guide for his names.
0: It's so funny.
1: That's wild. You know, I
0: actually have a question for you, Natalie. If, you know, you ever had a baby and you have to name it a Lord of the Rings name, what name would you choose? Mm. Um, I don't know for a baby. I know for
2: a puppy, it would definitely be Bilbo. Because that is, like, the cutest name ever. And Bilbo's just such a great character. He's, like, one of my favorites. That
0: is a really cute dog name.
1: That that would be a cool dog name. Yeah,
2: I'm going to do that at some point. (laughs) I also thought about, like, it's actually funny because we had, like, an icebreaker in class one day. And it was, like, two truths and a lie. And I made my lies, like, super, like, descriptive to make it look more like a truth. And my lie had been, like, I have, like, a white cat, and I named him Gollum because he's sneaky and he's my precious. <laughs> Something like that. Which is like, <laughs> a lot of people, like, actually thought that was true, and I'm, like, it's not too far off.
1: <laughs> Fair enough.
2: Okay, so back to Rings of Power. It starts in Valinor, and there's a young Galadriel who's being consoled by her brother, Finrod, after some very mean elven children sink her origami boat, which sounds a little strange in terms of Middle-earth so far, but, you know, whatever.
3: Par for the course.
2: (laughs) Par for the course, exactly. Well, the peace is unfortunately not going to last, if you can call bullying by elven children peace, at least. So we have Morgoth, who is kind of like a Lucifer-esque kind of bad guy. He's the biggest bad in the Tolkien legendarium that there is. He turned away from Eru and destroyed these, they're called the Two Trees, And essentially, there's a silver tree and there's a gold tree. And the last flower and fruit were sculpted into the moon and the sun. So that's a cool little Cimmerillian note there. Um, Morgoth stole the Silmarils, which are three very pretty jewels that are made of the light of these two trees. This started the War of Wrath, where basically the Valor and all the good people of Middle-earth fought against Morgoth and his orcs that he essentially created and all the bad people of Middle-earth. So there's this big fight at the end of the First Age. And eventually, obviously, the good guys win. Mm -hmm. And yes, very exciting. Mm -hmm. But nobody saw that coming. The good guys win. And Sauron, who I think everybody knows who Sauron is, was kind of like the number two for Morgoth. He was a follower of Morgoth. And he obviously rose up after Morgoth was defeated. Um, In the show, he kills Galadriel's brother. And Galadriel then takes up her brother's sword and Vendetta to kind of hunt Sauron after this. And that is where, like, the main action of the show takes place in the second age, while Galadriel is hunting for Sauron.
1: So basically they're kind of, like, just trying to hunt down Sauron now after Morgoth has fallen and whatnot?
2: Correct, yes.
1: Okay. And just, just like, I, I wish we had cameras for the podcast, you know, but, like... uh. Isabel is kind of look at like you know you're talking about Sarah and I look at that. I, I look at her, look at her. She's like or I look at Isabel and she's like, like eyes wide like I don't know who Sauron is. I'm like I'm, oh, I'm, I'm I gotta ask. Have you like I'm not trying to be mean, but like have you never seen like the memes or anything of like the all you all seeing eye or of Sauron or whatever? You've none of that.
0: I know Legolas is kind of good looking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean I mean you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Legolas is pretty awesome. I'll give you that. But. Yep. I, I, just, I was like, I don't know Lord of the Rings that much. I know who Sauron is. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, I know something in Lord of the Rings. Yes.
2: Yeah. So if you have like any questions about like a name that I think is obvious, feel free to interrupt me and <laughs> let me know. And I will gladly explain because I love talking about this. So the elves led by Galadriel, who is now like the commander of the northern forces of the elves, are hunting for Sauron in the icy waste of Faradwaith. And Faradwaith is kind of like this, like, northern icy wasteland. It's all the way north in Middle-earth. So if you have the Shire, where the hobbits live, then there were the ancient kingdoms of Angmar and Arnor up north above that. And then above that is Faradwaith. And that was pretty exciting for me to see because we have never been there before. In either the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings, that has just been a place on a map. We have not explored it yet. So it was really cool to see that. Um, The elves find an abandoned fortress where Sauron's mark is there. Um, It kind of looks like a little trident kind of mark. And they find it, but there's no guarantee that the mark is new. It could be centuries old. So basically Galadriel assumes that this is a sign that they're close to finding Sauron. But everybody else is like, this could be centuries old. We don't know if this is anything at all, other than he was here at some point. So they are eventually attacked by a snow troll, and then the group of elves kind of mutiny, and Galadriel is forced to return to Linden per the orders of the High King Gilgalad, or continue on alone. So she does end up going back there and putting a pause on her hunt for Sauron there. Then we cut to the place, the plains of the Rovanian, which is kind of like the, the eastern part of Middle-earth on the east of the Misty Mountains, that kind of area.
3: Cool
2: and we meet a group of Harfoots. Now Harfoots are one of the three groups of ancestral hobbits. We have the Harfoots, the Stores, and the Falahides. The Harfoots are the ancestors to the hobbits from the Lord of the Rings, and a group of Harfoot children led by Eleanor Norrie Brandybuck, or Brandyfoot, very similar to the hobbit name of Brandybuck, which is Mary's last name from the Lord of the Rings, raids berries from an old farm only to leave upon discovering a wolf footprint one of the older Harfoots is concerned because there's a pair of hunters also coming. And apparently that's like a bad omen because they never come this early in the season. Back in Linden, the capital of the High Elves, a young Elrond learns that his friend Galadriel has arrived. She returned and tells Elrond about the sigil that she found. But Elrond kind of warns her to not disobey the king. Gilgalad honors Galadriel and her men for their efforts and awards them a passage to the Undying Lands, Valinor, essentially, and insists that a new era of peace has begun. But Galadriel is obviously not certain, feeling as though she has too much to do in Middle-earth before sailing west. We following so far? I'm
1: following so far. It just sounds like she has unfinished business and she just, like, wants to hunt, like take care of her business first before, you know, she has to, like, you know be responsible adult-like lifehood or whatever, you know, she's got to be doing, you know, Mm -hmm. important stuff that she needs to do, you know. Yes,
2: absolutely. She definitely feels like she has some unfinished business, and nobody else seems to think the same way, so she's very frustrated with that. Um, Then we go to the Southlands, which um, it's a bit of a spoiler, so if anybody hasn't seen the show...
1: Your spoiler warning, I guess, for, you know, the show. Yeah,
2: (laughs) I will be spoiling everything in the first two episodes. So um, if you managed to get the first part spoiled but don't want any more spoiled, this is your fair warning. Watch it first, then listen to us because we're cool. And you should still listen to us. (laughs) So we go to the Southlands, which is kind of like around where present day Mordor would be, um, but it's not really there yet. And it's settled primarily by men. But there are elves that are stationed to monitor the town of men, which is called Tirharad. So there's an elf named Arandir, and he arrives at a tavern and overhears talk of a poisoning, but he's kind of blown off because the locals don't really like elves or their presence there, mainly because the elves are only really there to check on them because their ancestors were, they sided with Morgoth. So they kind of, the elves kind of have to watch them now to make sure that they're not up to any, you know, evil stuff got to keep them in line and they're not very fond of that they do not like being watched by the elves so uh, most of the locals don't like him but he does have this one human named Bronwyn she's a local healer and a single mother and they kind of have a little romance going on so that is his like one connection to this village she has a son um, who doesn't really like him much either but Bronwyn and Arondir are a thing now, another elf kind of, like, realizes this because he is horribly unsubtle about it and kind of warns him off, saying that there have only been two known pairings of elves and men and both have ended in a tragedy. And the relationships he alluded to are Baron and Luthien, who are, you know, from the Cimmerillion. They're an old story in the Tolkien Legendarium. Essentially, Baron was a mortal man. Luthien was, like, an elven princess kind of person. And they had to go on a quest. Baron essentially was killed and Luthien had to give up her immortality to, like, be with him. It's kind of complicated, but essentially that's what happened with that. And then another couple were Tuor and Idril, I think the same genders. The man was the man, and then the girl was the elf. And in both cases, you know, death. In the second case, it was the fall of Gondolin in the first stage, which is big, fancy
1: elven capital city.
0: Forbidden love is always tempting, though. Yes, that's why it keeps happening.
1: It's like, was there nothing like Romeo and Juliet in in Hobbit, the world, where it's just like, hey, you know, maybe don't fall in love with someone who is, like, in this high power or is, like, in a, I don't know, like, royal family stuff. Like, do not get involved in love and, I guess, like, royalty.
2: I mean, like, in The Hobbit, like, the book, there, that is, like, the one story where there isn't, like, a relationship like that but then in the movie of course they added i know
1: one. that i was about to say like <laughs> i do remember like something one. along the lines of like there was some sort of romantic relationship that yes. was pursued in the movies and i'm just yeah. like it was
2: not in the book though yeah fair I'm... so um the watch warden also kind of warns him off of it because as we've gone over it's ended badly both times it's been tried and additionally this has the added complication of her ancestors essentially being evil people so he still does not trust them and does not think that she's much good for anybody.
1: It's like you get the history of evil people. You have this, <laughs> like, guard soldier type person being like, I know what I'm talking about. I've seen it happen twice before. Like, no, nah, I think I'm just going to ignore him. Like, what, what could go wrong? Yeah,
2: definitely. So then um, basically word comes that Gilgalad has declared that the war is over. The elves are leaving their out posts because obviously if there's no threat anymore the men don't need to be watched as closely. Um, but before Iran deer can leave, he, you know, visits Bronwyn one more time, confessing his feelings. Um, but they are interrupted by a sick cow that has been grazing too far east. So the two of them have to travel to the area to investigate because it is a very sick cow. Instead of milk it has, you know, icky stuff.
1: Icky or, stuff. Icky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the not the not so good stuff
0: yes it is it is not what it should be <laughs> you say that like milk isn't icky stuff
1: <laughs> I, uh, I mean now i'm gonna ask the question do you not like drinking milk or
0: <laughs> no wow. i don't like drinking milk
1: wow are you a
0: milk drinker saga? yes i am you look like a milk drinker
1: yeah because i have strong bones at least <laughs> And I a mean,
0: milk drinker face.
1: Okay, I'd, I'd rather be a milk drinker than a tree killer. You know, <laughs> you, you only write on one side of paper for your notes.
2: You know, I just, wasn't going to bring that up, but now that he mentioned it, yeah, what gives with that?
1: You know, just, just for clarification, uh, we all took notes on our respective, um, on what we're talking about respectively. Uh, myself and Natalie, you know, we use Google Docs, you know, or, or even if we had handwritten notes, uh, you know, we wrote them down. Isabel, however, did handwritten notes, which is totally fine. I handwrote some notes uh but she only wrote it on one side of notebook paper and like you know i'm just like man not using both sides like a She's lot got of trees like, tree. four
2: pages like when we it could had been done in two i mean
1: natalie you said at the beginning of this show you had two trees that died what if those two <laughs> trees were, died to isabel Probably. i'm just saying like listen
0: listen okay i'm writing in a notebook and i'm writing with pencil and have you seen what happens when you write in a notebook and on both sides of the paper, you could see the pencil through the other side. I can't do that, okay? I have lots of thoughts. I'm thinking a lot. I just got to write it down and flip the page. I don't want to have to deal with these pencil lines. I do are- it all
2: the time.
1: <laughs> so what I'm hearing is... That is, is literally it, how it, I take notes. No, no, <laughs> Isabelle is so big-brained with her thoughts, She can only use, it, all her, her big brain thoughts can only be on one side of paper. that's what i'm getting your brain
0: might be that big if you didn't drink milk sava
1: wow you know what i drink a lot more than milk though coffee that might explain a couple things why i have a lot of energy to just like you know do all this talking antagonize me i mean (laughs) hey look i'm just saying you're the one with the pencil in hand writing on one side of paper and i mean to your credit though it i mean the the spiral notebook is like you're using it for like three different subjects you're using it for the podcast you're using it for i think physics and like math homework so i mean like all the more power to you i'm just saying i mean maybe use both sides question that mark? would
0: be even better it yes. would be you're doing great Thanks. but you Thanks, could be better. guys you know i'm i'm in recovery from my one-sided notebook using but i'll work <laughs> on that thank you i would love to hear more about this episode of rings of power though
2: oh yes absolutely Anything to get away from your tree killing habits. I completely understand. <laughs> so, back in Linden, which has a lot of trees that Isabel has not killed yet, oh <laughs> Elrond speaks with Gilgalad as Galadriel and the others sail across the Sundering Seas to Valinor. Elrond having for now convinced her to go, even though she really clearly does not want to. While they kept the information from her, Elrond and Gilgalad had foreseen that Galadriel may unintentionally keep the evil that she seeks alive rather than defeat it forever, which is what she's intending to do, but obviously won't do until like the Third Age. Gilgalad then tells Elrond that he'll be working with an elf named Celebrimbor, who is a great elven smith, on a new project. So just as Galadriel's ship is about to cross into the Undying Lands, A meteor shoots over the sky, catching the notice of basically every character we've been introduced to so far. Galadriel eventually does jump overboard, which is hilarious because she's in the middle of the ocean. Smart. (laughs) Yes. In her defense, though, um, basically how Valinor works is in the first age, you could sail between Valinor and Middle-earth, just like you could sail between New York and Britain, for example. And the world was flat, so you could do this. Mm. Then, after... And now this goes into the lore of the book, so it's obviously not the same as the lore for the show because they can't do it. But in the book, essentially, there are a bunch of elves led by an elf named Feanor. And Feanor was the one who created the Silmarils that I mentioned earlier.
1: Right.
0: Did you just say Middle-earth is flat?
3: (laughs) Yes. Middle-earth
2: started as flat. That's an important (laughs) distinction because it will become round at some
0: point. Stop. So... Flat middle, like, like it's like a, like a disc. Yes, I think so. No way.
1: <laughs> when you said like again, like me and Isabel, we're standing, we're sitting here. Like you said, oh yeah, it's flat, and I, I'm like, and I literally, I think I verbally said, okay, yeah, and I, I'm like, wait, hold on.
0: Flat Earth confirmed.
1: Flat Earth <laughs> is apparently confirmed for Middle Earth.
0: Flat Middle Earth,
2: yeah. Flat
1: Middle Earth. What a title. Yes. But you said it becomes round. It does
2: become round. And that's what I'm getting to in my defense of Galadriel jumping off the boat in the middle of the ocean.
1: Ah, uh, okay. So, so, okay, continue.
2: Yes. So, essentially, this elf named Feanor, he made the simurals, but then Morgoth took the simurals, Okay. as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Well, Feanor was not happy with that because everybody wanted these simurals because they were just really, really pretty. Everybody wanted them. And so Feanor and a bunch of his buddies basically swore an oath that they were going to go over to Middle-earth, hunt down Morgoth, and take back the Silmarils. Well, the Valor didn't really want him to do that. They didn't give him permission to go to Middle-earth to hunt down Morgoth to reclaim the Silmarils. So even though they wanted to do it, they had to obviously get to Middle-earth somehow. The Valor weren't going to help them. And they go to this elven city. I think it was called El Okay. And it had a group of elves, I believe, called the Teleri. They were like shipmaking elves, and they lived on the coast of Valinor. And so Feanor and a bunch of his buddies came up to them and was like, hey, I want some boats. Give me some boats so I can sail to Middle-earth. And they said no, because the Valor said no. Like, we're not going to help you go against the Valor here. You're on your own. You're not getting our boats.
3: Seems to well, make sense. Well,
2: yes. Feanor did what any reasonable elf would do at this time and started to kill them and take their boats.
1: Pillaging. you yes. like to see it.
2: So that was, that's referred to, I believe, as the Kinslaying of Alcalande. And Valor, obviously, were not happy with this. So at some point, I don't know if it's right away or if it's like a bit later, but they actually like kind of like seal off Valinor from the rest of the world. And that's when the world becomes round. So you can no longer sail to Valinor unless you're given permission to do so by the Valor.
1: Interesting. Okay.
2: So, yes. So you can. So this ship is given permission somehow to go to Valinor by the Valor. In the lore, it wouldn't have happened because these elves have been essentially banished for going against the Valor's wishes in the First Age and basically not coming to their senses and apologizing in previous ages. So Galadriel would not be allowed to go in the lore, but in the show she is. And so the ship is going to Valinor. She's about to cross over. She cannot go back to Middle-earth. At mm-hmm. this point, and obviously they're not going to just turn around, take her back, and then go back to Valinor. So at this point, it's like it's either go to Valinor and never come back, or jump off into the middle of the ocean. She's kind of out of options here. Like the only thing she could have done to avoid being in this very unfortunate situation would be to not get on the boat in the first place. So it is silly. It is still hilarious for me, but she does have somewhat of a solid reasoning, kind of like with desperation.
1: I mean, on the surface, like it, like now that you explained it, like it makes sense. Like, okay, yeah, either my <laughs> options are leave and never come back, or jump in the ocean. Um, I mean, I still don't fully follow, but I mean, like, from what you explained, like mm-hmm. it, it, it makes more sense. But just on the surface level of like, oh yeah, I'm on this perfectly safe boat going to another land. Nah, I'm just gonna jump off. Like just the in surface level. In the middle level, of the ocean. That's what I'm to saying, where yeah. she has
2: to like swim back. It's not like she's in the harbor or anything. Right. No, she's got like. Thousands of miles, probably, to go. Maybe she should have jumped off a little sooner. Maybe she should have, but, you know, she kind of... It's like I don't know exactly what was going through her head, but I guess she was going to go because she was supposed to go. But then she did get, like, a kind of a flashback from something that her brother told her at the beginning of the episode. She had basically asked, like, how do I know which light to follow? Because if I look at the sky over the ocean, there's, like, the light in the sky, and then there's the light reflected on the water... They look kind of similar. How do I tell which one's the actual one? And he mentioned that basically you can't know until you touch the darkness is what he said. So you have to like figure out for yourself essentially which is the true light and which is not the true light. Interesting. So somehow that replayed in her head and she was like, okay, this isn't right. I guess maybe this is her like touching the not true light, I Mm -hmm. guess. And she was like, nope, I can't do this. I still
0: need it in Middle Earth. I'm gonna jump off the boat. Now, let me ask you, you mentioned earlier that what's happening now kind of strays from real lore. How do you feel about that? Do you like that the show strays from the lore or are you kind of more lore focused as a Tolkien fan?
2: Um, I've only like read the book once. So like some deviations from the lore are, like go over my head, I'm not the most like I don't have the most expertise on it, but I do feel like with my passion for it, I definitely can, um, once I figure out what the lore is, I would prefer it if they stuck to it. but it doesn't really bother me as much as it does some other people in the Tolkien fandom when they deviate from it. I can deal with quite a lot of, you know derivatives and deviations from source material, as long as it doesn't really insult my intelligence. Like there is something that happened with the writers of the last season of a highly popular television show with a very divisive ending that basically amounted to this character did this ridiculous action because she just kind of forgot about one of the most important obstacles between her and her main goal that we are arguing she would do anything to achieve. She just kind of forgets about them. That is literally what the writers said talk, in regard to that.
1: Talk season. about some short-term or long-term memory loss. Literally,
2: there. I'm like, okay, so <laughs> she, she is just either the most forgetful, horrible to follow protagonist like ever, or your writing is horrible and you are actively thinking that I am not a smart person when I'm watching this because you think that that I was, oh, okay, yeah, she she forgot, makes sense. No. <laughs>
1: You're, no. like, you're like, how how could I forget this? It's like, whoop well, yeah.
2: There's just, no way it, the, no, she would have just, <clears throat> forgotten it.
1: No, just no mentioning it at all. Just like, yeah, she just yeah. miraculously forgot. And
2: the thing is, is, like, I was giving that a lot of credit first because I usually give things a lot of credit. Yeah. And I thought it was in a different area. So basically, if you haven't worked it out yet, I'm talking about Game of Thrones. And
3: yeah, <laughs> what? No, no, <laughs> yeah.
2: So essentially, I thought that the Iron Fleet kind of surprised her and were was in a position that nobody was expecting them to be in. Because earlier in the episode that I'm referring to, it's the fourth episode of the final season, they were like, like, she was flat out told, like five minutes ago in the episode, we literally watch a council scene where she's being told, oh, watch out for the Iron Fleet. They're like around King's Landing. She was present for this. So unless she zoned out, she heard this.
1: She didn't take notes on her notebook. She,
2: she didn't, no. And she didn't even take notes like Isabel either. Like, I would take that over clearly not remembering anything. I bet she drinks milk.
1: <laughs> she, I, hey, maybe. She might. It's
2: quite possible.
1: <laughs> anyway. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, yeah. So, as long as you don't... Back, back on track here. As long as you don't insult my intelligence like that, I can stomach probably a lot of lore deviation. I can... I can deal with plot conveniences. I can deal with even, like, average writing. Like, it doesn't even have to be anything phenomenal. But, like, if it is entertaining to me, I can forgive it. If it's Middle Earth, I will probably be more forgiving of it just because I am, like, I am just loving being back in Middle Earth as long as it's not insulting my intelligence or doing anything that's too big, that's, like, too damaging. Like, Galadriel is portrayed in a very different way than she was in lord of the rings but i can accept that because there is still a character growth we have like thousands and thousands and thousands of years between rings of power and the hobbit which is the next chronological story
1: so it's like as long as like they don't deviate like too far or like completely change anything like Some changes may happen, you know, to be adapted in a TV show. But as long as it's... Changes are
2: going to always happen. Yeah. Um, I'd prefer if they tried to keep fairly close to the source material. But another good example of this is The Hobbit. How, like, that is very, very different from the source material of the book. There are a lot of changes that Peter Jackson made with The Hobbit trilogies. And so the fans weren't really happy with that either. But I love The Hobbits. I love them as much as The Lord of the Rings. I enjoy them more than watching The Lord of the Rings, even though I do think Lord of the Rings is objectively a better story. But I love my dwarves. That is something that you will find out later in my review when we finally, finally get to the dwarves in Episode 2 because we had a whole episode without the dwarves, and I was very upset. <laughs> but well, they are my favorite. So... I I enjoy everything Dwarven, so if it's with the Dwarves, I am going to be even more forgiving than I otherwise might have been.
1: Understandable.
0: I
2: hear that. Okay, so we are almost through the first episode. The first episode wraps (laughs) wraps up. Should have
1: brought some popcorn. I might actually need to watch this show with how, like, honestly.
2: We should have, like, a watch party or something tomorrow. If, think you can catch up with all five episodes that are out Yeah,
1: already? there's no way that's going to happen. <laughs> They're
2: about, like, an hour apiece, so probably oh. not. <laughs> Better than, the like, all the actual movies, though. Those are, like, three hours apiece. And that's a theatrical cut. But essentially, so the meteor, there's a meteor that shoots across the sky. She jumps overboard. And we cut to the Harfoots again with Nori. And... The meteor lands, like, not too far away from her. So she finds it, and inside the crater of the meteor is a dude. There is a man that fell from the sky. He's in the middle of the crater.
1: Aliens. (laughs) (laughs) No.
2: You know what? I've heard a lot of theories for who this person is. He's called the Stranger. I've never heard aliens. So, you know, if they want to do something surprising and different, we got it right here, folks. The Stranger is an alien. (laughs) Fair enough But anyway that's episode one So episode two it's called Adrift It begins immediately after the first one Both of them were released on the same day So that kind of makes sense It just was like watching one solid episode Galadriel is facing the consequences Of her decision to jump off the boat In the middle of the ocean She just kind of looks around for a bit And decides well I gotta start swimming at some point So she starts swimming Um, Then we go to Um, The Rovanian again with Nori and her friend Poppy kind of comes up and they fall into the crater. It's kind of weird though because the crater is like all fiery and everything, but it's not hot. And that's important. People are speculating because in the scene in Faradwath in the first episode, their torches gave off no warmth. And Galadriel said it was because the place is so evil. So people are saying that potentially the stranger is an evil person, like an evil character. Because the fire in his crater was not warm. It had no heat to it. So I that mean, was another... It makes sense to it, me. It makes
1: sense. That's an interesting theory. Like yeah. Just based on the show. Like I mean, I'm not going to try to dispute that or argue that. But I'm like, that is definitely like... Really, that's pretty interesting. Like, it is like the a, one theory.
2: theory that t- tears me a little bit more against the other theory that I have. Which, I mean, it'd be kind of cool if they didn't do it what i think that they're going to do with the stranger but at the same time like a lot of the pieces are kind of lining up for him to be who i think he might be but we'll find out i'm in episode five i still don't know 100 percent who this person is
3: mm. um
2: but basically um they kind of they inspect the person who's in the crater they poke him a bit you know as you do and he grabs nori's wrist And then the wind picks up and swirls around them. The fire goes out and, you know, a lot of magical weird stuff happens. And then the man collapses and the wind calms down. And the girls have to kind of steal a lamp and a wheelbarrow from the camp to wheel the stranger away to find a safe place to hide him because Nori has the feeling that whether because of fate or destiny, she was meant to find him, so she has to help him because he landed there. So it is her responsibility to help him in
0: her mind. If I start poking, like, a body, and then it grabs me, I'm going to be honest. My first thought is how is not going to be, how can I help this guy? Well, you know, hobbits have
2: big hearts and big feet.
3: Okay.
1: I'm, I'm just saying, like, I mean, I kind of agree with Isabel here. Like, <laughs> logically speaking, you know, you first off, a, a meteor falls out of the sky. I'm going to walk near it regardless of it being hot or not. Second off, oh, there's a man that fell from the sky, possibly alien. I'm going to poke him. <laughs> Third off, oh, the man grabs my wrist, does some wizard stuff, some magical stuff happens, and he passes out again. I think I think it's my destiny to help this dude. Like just those are three giant red flags that <laughs> despite you know this happening in you know the lord of the rings universe and it being a hobbit and they do have big hearts and big feet like you said uh i would just hightail it out of there like uh uh-uh, <laughs> no
0: you know i'm all about this theory now that that guy's bad news because what's what's with all that weird stuff happening
1: watch watch that theory be right you know like obviously me not knowing anything about the mm-hmm. show and i probably won't be able to watch the show and i'll probably just wait honestly till it's fully aired mm-hmm. watch it right now it's like me saying this it's like the, he turns out to be evil and he just ends up like, get like, hurting or like, straight up just like, murdering, you know, whoever like is like trying to take care of him. It's just like, oh, you helped me and you poked me with that stick. That's cool. Remember that? Yeah. you Go away.
2: What if he's an evil alien? Oh. I need that plot twist. <laughs>
1: plot twist.
2: But yeah, so whether or not you think this is a smart move on Nori's part, she wheels the guy away to help him. Um, back to the Southlands. Without aliens. Um, Arondir and Bronwyn are now stumbling across the ruins of another city of men. It's called or Horden. Uh, Bronwyn, it is like Bronwyn's hometown, apparently. Um, There are no signs of the people who live there, though. There are no bodies, no wounded. But they do find a very deep hole in one of the houses, leading to kind of like a series of underground passageways. Arondir has to jump down to investigate, and Bronwyn runs... Like returns to Tirhath to warn the other townsfolk. So, I know we had Galadriel jumping off of a boat. We have Nori helping the stranger guy. And after now we have
1: now we have him jumping down a hole like
2: by himself. Yeah. By
1: himself, <laughs> and like obviously, like okay, he needs to investigate it. I get that, but it's just like, just what if it was a bot? Like, did he check <laughs> to see if it was a bottomless pit or something? You know, no, he, like... he could
2: see the bottom. He just didn't know where they went.
1: Okay, fair enough. All right.
0: It wasn't that bad.
1: <laughs> I'll give him benefit of doubt on that one.
0: These these people are not being taught, like, common sense.
1: It's Lord of the Rings. Like, they're like, hey, it's my debt. If I find a... If I find a stranger in a crater, it's my destiny to take care of him. If I find a hole that's mysterious and I must, it, I don't know where it leads, it's my destiny to investigate. It seems like, mm-hmm. like whatever they stumble across, it seems like it must be their destiny, you know, yes. to <laughs> figure out. Well, I must get to the bottom I'm of it. I'm
2: enjoying the show so far, believe it or not, but it is very. I funny mean, it sounds like
1: a great show. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just teasing and nitpicking because yeah. I'm just like, I haven't watched again like that much Lord of the Rings, so it's just like. My views on this are going to obviously be vastly different, but I'm still interested nonetheless.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, so we go back to another place on the map that we haven't been before. It's called Eregion, and it's the realm of the Elven smiths. So Celebrimbor is talking to Elrond about his project, and he wants to, quote, devise something of real power. He wants Elrond to help him build a forge to suit his needs, what he wants to do. But apparently, the forge needs to be done by spring for some reason. So Elrond suggests bringing in outside help, and they travel to Khazad Dûm, which is my favorite plotline because that is the realm of the dwarves
1: and the That's... mines of Moria. Correct. That is you... the that is one of the many Yay! one of the few places I know. Well, I mean, it doesn't help that you have the script in front of you, but I swear, <laughs> I swear, I didn't look at it. Psych, I actually did.
2: I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. So. Elrond believes that the prince of Durin's folk that is in Moria, his name is Durin Fourth. he's like a brother to him. They have a pretty close bond. But when he and Celebrimbor waltz up there, they expect a really warm welcome because of this fact. But that is not the case. That's not happened. The guard at the door just flat out says no. And it's really funny because he walks up and is like, hey, Durin's my buddy. Can I come in? It's like, no. He's like, well, can you ask Durin maybe because he... He's my buddy, he'll let me in. It's his orders. You're not allowed in.
3: Oof. Yes.
2: So, um, left with no other option because they will not let him in, Elrond has to invoke the right of Siginturag, which I will explain what that is because that is a new term. It turns out to be a test of endurance where Durin and Elrond have to compete to see who can break stones the longest. If Elrond loses or forfeits, he's banished from all of the dwarf lands ever If he wins, he'll be granted a favor. Elrond is allowed to, you know, enter the realm of the dwarves, Moria, you know, before it's all broken and horrible, as it is in the Lord of the Rings. But it is really pretty. This was very impressive to me. I was just, I wanted to live there. It was gorgeous. There are, they use the mirrors for the light, kind of like how they did in The Mummy and stuff like that. Uh, There's lush greenery inside the mountain. There's flowing waterfalls. It's just gorgeous. I wish I could take a picture and show all of you.
1: It's like top 10 vacation spots oh, in more yes. Oh I Rings. would
2: definitely, <laughs> definitely live there. You know, pre Balrog, it is a nice place to be.
1: <laughs> and then Balrog comes around. It's just like, I, I like this place. I think I'll trash it. You know,
2: maybe the Balrog had the same opinion that I did. It was like, this place is pretty nice. I'm cool with living here.
1: And then just like ends <laughs> up just letting it go to It's Like, man, like, it, what's a wonder what happens, mm-hmm. you know, when people don't take care of the place. It's just like yeah. goes to garbage.
2: <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So Celebrimbor waits outside. What he does outside while all of this is happening, I have no idea. But Elrond's allowed in. He's not. He just chills outside. So we go back to the Ravanian, and Nori, who has decided to help the stranger, despite your thoughts to the contrary, <laughs> um, she finds him drawing symbols. And this is where my theory... Kind of came in a little bit, which, I mean, again, it is just a theory. I mm-hmm. don't know who this person is. There's a lot of word going around that the stranger is probably Gandalf because he does the wizardy stuff and he's drawing a bunch of symbols. And it's, you see one, the camera gets really close to one that kind of looks like the symbol that he draws on Bilbo's front door in The Hobbit. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that that is Gandalf. He draws a bunch of symbols, so he could just be one of the other four wizards, because there are right. five of them. He could be a different wizard. He could be somebody else entirely. Some people think he's Sauron, but I I don't think he's Sauron. I don't think.
1: I, that would be a stretch, I feel like.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that that's a bit of a stretch. Now, I have a question about that. As an amateur in Lord of the Rings lore, don't we know what Gandalf looks like? We
2: do. Um, However, we also know what Galadriel looks like and Elrond look like. Because elves are immortal. They don't really age. And this is in the second age. So this is a pretty big chunk of time. I personally feel like these characters would still look like they look like in The Lord of the Rings. But there are different actresses. Or there's a different actress playing Galadriel. And there's a different actor playing Elrond. So they do look different so it could just be it's like i do think that the stranger kind of does look like gandalf to some extent obviously it's not played by sirian mckellen but he does kind of resemble gandalf or at least some kind of wizard that doesn't mean he is one could be wrong but he has definitely got wizard vibes about him however though as the stranger gets more agitated um he accidentally i guess causes nori's father his name's largo Um, he's injured in the camp. He kind of, like, sprains his ankle, Mm -hmm. which is a problem because the Harfoots, unlike the hobbits of the Shire, actually, like, migrate. Like, their thing is they move to different lands at different years. They don't stay in the same place. So this is bad because if he sprains his ankle, he can't really move the cart or migrate as well. And apparently, despite having a little chant that the Harfoots do about how nobody walks alone, apparently they will leave you. Like, if you fall behind, you are left behind. Harsh. It's funny, because there's even a scene. I don't remember if it was this episode or another episode, but they have, like, a campfire gathering, and they just, like, read off the names of, like, all the people that have either, like, died on the trail or that they, like, left. (laughs) It's supposed to be this, like, really touching scene. Like, the music is, like, so, like, sad and, like, oh, this is such an emotional scene. And it's, like we couldn't wait for you in life so we wait for you now and I'm like you did wow
1: <laughs> it's just like it's you like could have
0: just waited in life
1: they're, they're <laughs> taking roll have. it's like taking roll calls it's just like they're <laughs> na- listening the names like waiting for someone to be like oh yeah here and it's just like you hear silence just like <laughs> I well, he fell behind, you know, I get his, I call dibs on his stuff, you know, like, jeez.
2: <laughs> yeah, like, Poppy, Nori's friend, like, that apparently happened to her family. I don't know if they were, like, killed on the track or if they fell behind. Yeah. But, like, she's, like, all by herself now. <laughs> and she's just like,
3: yeah. Awful.
2: Yeah. There, There's some criticism about how the hobbits are portrayed as well, because... You know, even though they are hard they're a little bit of a different thing. It's it's kind of hard to see hobbits as anything more than like, I mean, they gossip, they steal Bilbo's things, but they don't like, they're not like, kind of like that. Yeah. It doesn't bother evil. me
3: too.
2: <laughs> I wouldn't say evil. In their defense, like, if a wolf attacks, what are they going to do? Step on soul. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But basically, that's what happens. The stranger's like muttering, getting agitated, and then Daddy Harfoot gets injured. His book gets injured. But anyway, back to the Sundering Seas where Galadriel is, you know, swimming, as you do when you jump off a boat in the middle of the ocean. She comes across a raft of survivors from some kind of sea attack by a creature they call the worm. It's like a sea monster, which was also kind of cool because we haven't seen a sea monster in Middle-earth before. Um, so she gets on the ship. Um, she kind of hides that she's an elf because apparently a lot of humans don't like elves at this point. Not sure entirely why these specific ones do or if she how she knew that they would. Like, is this a common thing or?
1: Just a one-off, like, we don't know.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. They might have mentioned it, but I, I didn't catch it if they did. I have no idea why she would just automatically do that.
0: I got a question for you. How do you tell the difference between a human and, and an elf? Like, how can she just hide that she's an elf? Well, that is another
2: criticism that the fan base kind of does because Galadriel is supposed to have more magic than like a regular elf. She is supposed to be like special to the point where you shouldn't be able to, you know, mistake in the fact that she is in fact an elf. But it's like elves are also, I think, supposed to be a bit taller. But the, the, the biggest feature that they have that's most obvious is they have pointed ears. Okay. So what she does is she just kind of like covers her ears with her hair. And tries to hide herself that way. They obviously figure out she's an elf eventually. Because, you know, drama. (laughs) And, of course, they do not like her when they find out that she is an elf. And they kind of push her off the raft. And then the sea monster kind of attacks them again. And she does what, you know, a smart person would do. And swims away from the raft that is getting attacked by the sea monster. First good decision she's made in a (laughs) while.
1: Exactly. That's what my thought exactly. But
2: then the funny thing is, is because one of the other guys that was on the raft... Has a similar idea. He, like, you know, gets away from the raft that's being attacked by the worm. And they're the only two, seemingly, that survive. I think the other people probably die. We don't see them again. Rip. Yes. But then she, like, actually, like, I'm probably skipping ahead a little bit. But she, like, kind of gives him some attitude about it. She's like, what kind of man would leave his companions to die? And I'm like, you did the same thing. I mean, granted, like, you didn't know them and they weren't very nice to you, but who's to say he knows them much better? And what could he do against the worm
0: creature that attacked you? That is a good point. <laughs> Why wouldn't she stay and save everyone if that's what she wants?
2: Yeah, I, I, honestly, I have expected her to because, like, I don't know, there are some, like, female characters, how they're portrayed, where they're just like, They're so good at everything. And, you know, I have nothing wrong with a strong female character. I actually quite like them being a female, and I hope a strong one at that. (laughs) But, like, there are some times where it's just like, okay, where's the tension? You just, like, come in here and you completely destroy everything. There is no... I am not concerned for you at this point if you are this talented at everything you do. And that goes for, like, any character. Male character, female characters, anybody in general Please, if you're going to make a talented character, please, go by all means, do so. But don't kill the tension while you're at it. (laughs) (laughs) So I was, like, half expecting it to go that route. And then I was actually pleasantly surprised when she just, like, swam away. I'm like, solid. She she can't do anything about this. That's cool. I'm glad. But basically, um, the other guy comes over. He has a last little bit of raft. And then he pulls her aboard. Because I guess he doesn't care that she's an elf or, you know, there's only two of them now. So might as well try to survive together.
1: Make something work with it.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Does romance ensue? I hope
1: not. Because
2: (laughs) I I don't think so. Nothing has yet. Okay. Um, It definitely could happen. Like, it's not like they're... Like, that there's nothing there that if you wanted to do something, I think you could. I hope they don't. I don't think that that would be something that they're going to do. But then again, she is supposed to have a husband at this time. And uh, Celeborn is nowhere in sight. And she's also supposed to have a daughter at some point, too. And she's nowhere in sight. Her daughter is actually Elrond's wife.
1: I mean, I ain't going to say, you know, she's cheating on nobody, but I mean... And that's why I said, like,
2: I don't know, like, maybe because he's not in the picture. But I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of like a romantic where it's just like I have a ship and that is the ship. You do not jump the ship. Unlike <laughs> Galadriel, which she's already done already. <laughs> but, like, she doesn't need to jump another ship. This is the ship you two are meant to be. So be together. Do not be with anyone else. Is it particularly healthy? Maybe in modern standpoints, maybe not, Probably but, not. you know, I like it. It's my thing.
1: I mean, you're allowed to have, you know, your own ships and fantasies and whatnot. It's like, I'm pretty sure we could probably talk about this in another episode. Oh, yeah. uh, but, like, yeah, definitely, like, that is something that, like, I would probably, like, if I was watching, like, any of my other favorite shows that I've watched in the past, like, I've definitely had, like, okay, yeah, like, you have, like, okay, this is the plot shit, like, the plot of, like, okay, they got shipped. But it's just, like, okay, what's the fan ship of, like, mm-hmm. what is, like, what what do the fans think, like, what could have happened as well? So, I see what you mean.
2: Yeah. So back in khazad to get back on track, Um, Elrond finally forfeits the competition because, you know, I mean, it's a dwarf competition. It's made for dwarves. And you've got the Prince of the Dwarves that is your opponent in this dwarven-oriented competition.
1: The game was rigged from the start. (laughs)
2: Literally. He had no (laughs) chance of winning this thing. It was just, like, so he could get in, I guess. Um, But he does manage to allow... Or to convince Durin, who is his friend, who now doesn't like him for some reason, to walk him out. Because he's like, okay, I'll leave, but, you know, can you, like, walk me out? He's like, with pleasure. Yeah, sure. Horrible. I don't like you. Let's go. And he does manage to get Durin to tell him what he did, essentially, to make him mad. So it turns out Elrond has not visited Durin in 20 years.
1: Some friend. Yes.
2: Yes. And that is like a short time for an elf, but not as much for a dwarf. Now dwarves usually have like longer lifespans, so their lifespan isn't like ours. They're, they can live to like 250, to like 300 years old. So it's like 20 years isn't a long time for them per se either. But the big thing is that Elrond has missed Durin's wedding. Yes. And the birth of his two children
1: mm. in those 20 no. years. No.
2: And presumably didn't, like, send him even, like, a letter of congratulations or anything.
1: Presumably. Yeah, really? man, you're my best friend. You know, I'm going to roll up to your front door. Hey, buddy, let me in. No. <laughs> Why do you not like me? List reasons. Hmm. Yeah, like, no, nah, I think funny, I'm still like, a good friend. I didn't
2: know either. So I was just like, oh, like, what's going on here? That, and then, that's like, he, definitely... he said it. And then I was like. Oh.
1: That's definitely a valid reason. Valid well, wow. reasons.
2: Sorry, Elrond. I'm, I'm going to be on his side, and it's not just because he's a dwarf. A
3: <laughs>
0: wedding?
2: You messed up. <laughs> so Elrond obviously apologizes, you know, as you do when you miss your besties' wedding and two children's births. And he does request to meet his family, especially Disa, who is Durin's wife, to, so that he can apologize to them as well. And Durin agrees, but warns them not to warns Elrond to not expect to stay too long after that basically yes you can apologize to my family because they deserve it too but after that you're out and this is actually like a really funny scene I really loved it because hilariously Disa has the complete opposite idea so like they walk in and she's like oh this must be Elrond. like I've heard so much <laughs> about you you're staying for dinner
1: immediately. Just like, I am escorting you out as soon as you apologize. The wife just like, stay for dinner. I love
2: that dynamic so much. It was so hilarious because she's she's like so upbeat about it. And then he's like, "Eh." and then Duran's like, don't get too comfortable.
1: (laughs) He has to sit next to him and he's just like kicking him under the table. (laughs) Just like, "Mm."
2: Duran is like really mopey throughout the whole dinner. And like Disa's all like, you know, warm and bubbly. He's like, oh, like how are you doing? I've heard so much about you. Welcoming (laughs) him warmly. And um, Elrond notes that there is a tree that he gave Durin from London that he planted. And Durin has been taking care of it religiously. So he does, like, truly still care about Elrond mm. to some extent. He's just really hurt with him. Understandably so.
0: Of course.
2: Yes. And, of course, Elrond has to then, like, up the compliments, you know, try to make up for missing the wedding and the children's births. And then he mentions that it's no surprise that the tree has grown so well, even under the mountains, because of the, the love, basically, in the family home. Like, there's just so much love here. How could it not? So he's, like, really, really going in hard there. And, obviously, Durin eventually starts softening, and he allows Elrond to stay and asks him what the project is so he can decide whether or not he was going to bring it before his father, who is the king. Then we're back to Galadriel and Halbrand, who reveals he's from the Southlands and was forced out by orcs, presumably alluding to the same town that Bronwyn and Arondir found. Um, I heard that online, that that is the same town, potentially. Um, Then we go back to Tirharad, where Bronwyn is trying to warn her people that, you know, there's something weird going on. There's a town that was clearly attacked, but we don't know where the, the people from that town are. So that's a bit of an issue. But they don't believe her because they certainly don't want to have the elves come back to help them because they don't like the elves, as previously stated.
1: Certainly not.
2: Obviously. And they don't really trust her because, as I said before, Erandir is not very subtle. So they know that she at least has some kind of kindness towards the elves. So obviously, if she's so fond of the elves, maybe she's just, you know saying this so that we can get the elves back obviously I think that's not too smart an idea when it's something of this magnitude but you know
1: I mean maybe she has no other options we don't I mean I don't know per se myself because I'm not watching the show (laughs) but like it seems like maybe she's like you know what harm could there be in like maybe getting them back like Mm -hmm. we don't know yeah
2: so back at Bronwyn's house Theo hears Theo being the son Um, He hears what he believes are mice under the floorboards because he complained about them in the first episode, I believe, as well. But it turns out it's not mice. It's an orc. And there's the tunnel that Arandir kind of went into. Yeah, that's how the orcs are getting around because it's a bit inconsistent in the movies, but in this, the orcs have trouble walking in sunlight. They do get burned. It is usually an issue that they've been, like, if they are in the sun, it's not good for them. Are the orcs
0: not large how how big is an orc that you mistake it for a mouse under the floorboard
2: i mean it's just a noise like he doesn't see it at first so like the orcs are moving under the floorboard and he thinks that it's the mice up to something under the floorboard just moving around being okay. a nuisance under okay. the floorboard i see yeah now orcs are like around like human size maybe a bit bigger but they're not like super small or like giants or anything
0: gotcha okay
2: usually there are some that can be a little larger but generally speaking they're around you know man height uh while investigating the tunnels alone a rondir comes across a creature presumably evil Um, he doesn't see it but he hears it coming and he wisely retreats to get to a better position than the cramped tunnel that he's in to defend himself um he eventually gets into this like underwater like or underground like cave system where it's like he comes up through the water, can back up against like some vines, some root area, and he kind of like positions himself to defend himself. But it's kind of like that classic horror movie thing of like where you're like looking at a character and then like hands come up from behind them and grab them and then like pull them back.
3: Uh.
2: That happens. So um he does survive, but he gets captured by the orcs.
1: Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I just like in my head, I just picture he's just like standing there, like in the and right behind him is like the very like dark, like shadowy area. And you just see the hands like erupt your foe, like erupt forward and just pull them into the darkness. Like, that's, that's like
2: exactly what happens.
1: I swear, I've not watched the show. If I describe <laughs> that scene perfectly, then uh, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yes,
2: it was, it was very similar to that. You did a pretty good job. So Bronwyn arrives home to find a hole similar to those that were in Hordern. And Theo is not there. He's, like, completely disappeared. So she's screaming for him, panicking, like, oh, no, where is my kid? And then she does find him hiding. He is okay. But then she has to hide in, like, a nearby closet because her screaming around for her kid has attracted the attention of, you guessed it, an orc. Oh, great. Yes. So after a fight, which was pretty cool because orcs usually aren't that much of a threat because they're usually, at least not a single one, because they're, like, fighting elven warriors or, like, seasoned veteran fighters in the other movies. But, like, for these people, like, they actually had to, like, work to take this guy down. But they do. They kill the orc, and Bronwyn brings the head to the others to prove that she's not lying, she's not wrong, they are in danger, and if they want to live, they have to go somewhere else. So they make for the elven tower that was abandoned. Back at sea, Galadriel and Halbrand are stuck in the middle of a storm. Galadriel ties herself to a raft and tries to do the same with Halbrand, but the raft breaks and Galadriel is dragged down with it. So Halbrand has to dive in after her and finding Galadriel's sword, the same one that had been her brother's, cuts her free and brings them both to the surface.
1: Sounds like a tense scene.
2: Yes. Back near the Harfoot camp, Nori tells the strange man that they're migrating, so she won't be able to help him anymore. Um, they're carrying—it's at night, so her and her friend Poppy are carrying these little lanterns with fireflies in them. And then one of the lanterns bursts, and the fireflies come out, and they forge a or they form a constellation in the sky. And Nori interprets that as the stranger asking for help finding those stars, um, because—and this is also like another reason that I think it might be Gandalf. -hmm. Because he kind like Gandalf has a track record of talking to insects and asking them to do things for him. He does that with the moths and the eagles in both trilogies, and he does a similar thing. He kind of like cups his hands like around them, brings them close to his mouth, and like whispers in an elvish language. I think it's called Kenya to them, and then they like do what he wants. So he does that. They form the constellation, and then um, that's what Nori interprets as asking for help to find those stars. Like find a place where you can see those stars because they can't be seen from where they currently are. Hmm. Uh, but then the stranger collapses and the fireflies die.
1: Man, what a firefly killer, you know. For <laughs> yeah. you know we, we almost got, as
2: bad as a tree killer.
1: that was about to say, you know, <laughs> like dang.
2: This is ridiculous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I will not stand for such slanders. It's like, well I mean you're sitting right now, so
2: Yeah. Well, we are almost done with my segment, so hopefully, unless he brings it up in esports, you're going to be safe for a little bit. But we go back that to Kazudum, and Durin talks to his father, Durin Third, who is skeptical of working with the elves because he thinks that they are up to something, that they have some kind of ulterior motive for coming there. Prince Durin tells him that the elves don't know what they have, and they open a box. While we can't see the contents, a silver-blue glow shines from it. Now, I do know what this is, but since this is only for episode one and episode two, I'm going to leave it there.
1: Okay. Right. I
2: love that little cliffhanger. Yes. Mm. That way you must watch us again or listen to us again. That way you can know what is in the box. So back in the Southlands, Theo is holding a broken sword that he found in a barn. Um, it's kind of like evil. It's kind of like what the Morgul br- blades look like if you've seen them. Um, it's like an evil black broken sword looking thing and it has Sauron's sigil on it. Uh, Blood trickles from the wound on his hand when it comes into contact with the sword and the sigil blazes but Bronwyn doesn't see this. She calls for him. The town evacuates and then the episode ends with Galadriel and Halbrand having escaped the storm but they are unconscious on the raft and it comes across a large ship where the silhouette of a man peers down at them.
1: That's the end of episode two.
2: That is the end of episode
1: two. Mm. Wow. I mean, we got a couple of cliffhangers as far as like the what the glowing thing in the box might be. I think I know what it is. I don't remember what the name of it is. I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say what I think it is, because if I am right, I would feel bad. But uh, I kind of want to
2: know what you think it is.
1: Well, do you want me to say it or okay? So I don't remember what the name of it is, but like if I remember correctly. If, like again it's been a long time since i watched like the lord of the rings movies was it like something like the heart of the, like the mountain in the minds of uh, it is whatever? actually not it's not and that i was so happy mm. cuz it
2: looked like it was okay cuz
1: that's what it sounded like cuz yeah, like it i'm looked thinking like it was thinking back on the movie and that whole scene that's what i th- like that's what it yeah. sounded like but okay so I was if glad it's not it that
2: what he's referring to if anybody doesn't know is the arkenstone and the Arkenstone is the heart of the mountain. It's in Erebor. So in the Third Age, um, King Thror, who is the king under the mountain, the king of Erebor, he finds this Arkenstone, which is a very, very beautiful, enchanting jewel that is buried in the heart of the mountain, which is you know, why it's called that. Yeah. And he displays it on his throne as a symbol of his power and his right to rule, essentially when the dragon smaug attacks erebor and takes erebor in the third age the arkenstone is lost and thorin oakenshield and his company of dwarves have to retake erebor and you know they need the arkenstone to help rally the other dwarves to help them do so um it's been a while since i read the book the hobbit because that's the story that we're talking about here so i don't remember if the arkenstone summoning the other dwarves was originally part of the plan Or if it was just an addition in the movies, which I am more familiar with the movies.
3: Mm.
2: But um, it is like the heart of the mountain. It's the king's jewel. It is like the number one bauble in the dragon's hoard that everybody wants. Um, In the movies, Thorin kind of goes crazy looking for it. It's called Dragon Sickness it's played up a lot more in the movies and in the book he's a lot more reasonable in the book
1: i do remember that scene like the dragon sickness kind of like in the movie and how yeah. he goes mad with power of like i need the i need i need it i need the Arkstone, stone the arc sto- yeah. Ark and stone i need one it i need it. Taken it who's taking it <laughs> who's betraying me i, I don't do know should i
2: suspect the one person who's been in the treasure hoard longer than anybody else
1: mm, nah. no <laughs> no
2: it's somebody else definitely <laughs>
3: All
1: right. Which,
2: in his defense, I wouldn't suspect the Hobbit of wanting to steal from me either.
1: No, totally not. <laughs> All right. Uh, I mean, if I got nothing else for that, so I mean, if as I don't know if Isabel, you got any other questions for. For that.
0: Yeah, I actually do have a few more questions. If that's cool with you guys, I wanted to get your take on some things more specifically in the show.
2: Oh, absolutely! I love talking about Middle Earth. Ask me anything you want.
0: All right, so my first question is, what is your biggest annoyance so far within the first two episodes?
2: Definitely the biggest annoyance in all of the episodes is the short hair on the elves. I cannot, like, I'm getting more used to it as the series goes on, but if you watch The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, all the elves, men elves, women elves, all of them had this long hair hair like down to their like hips at least and like that is just what i think elves look like so the biggest hurdle at least in my suspension of disbelief for this is like the elves have short hair like almost all of the male elves have short hair the women elves have like longer hair but and there's like one elf Guy that has long hair but a lot of the other ones have like really short and it kind of looks like slick back like kind of like grease style of like a little poofy at times of like this looks so ridiculous
0: you know I don't know much about Lord of the Rings but Legolas as a character always stuck out to me and I think it was because of his long beautiful oh, bright it was blonde glorious hair glorious
2: hair and they just they took it away they did I don't know why they did that it's like I can, I'm perfectly fine with changes. I understand things change in adaptation. I do not understand the rationale behind this. I mean, you have this much money in your budget. It's not like you couldn't get these people wigs. Like, why? What was the reasoning (laughs) behind the short-haired elf? It it doesn't ruin it. I'm still enjoying the show so far. It's not like this, like, immersion-breaking thing, but, like, for the first couple episodes, I was just, like, laughing so much. It just like, every time, like, a male elf with short hair would well I would be like, what is
0: that hair? <laughs> now, you mentioned budget earlier. I've actually read a lot about just how big the budget for the show is. And I wanted to ask you, can you see the budget when you're watching this show? Um, From my
2: layperson's experience, I'm not a big CGI, like, expert of – I can't tell you exactly – Oh, this looks too fake this looks so real it's so amazing I'm not like super good with that but I can definitely tell that it there is some work put into it um, I've heard some reviewers say that the CGI is great I've heard some reviewers say that it's not great at places but for me like there's nothing that stuck out to me as just unbelievable or weird I, I followed along pretty well for everything I thought the visuals were overall really really great other than the short hair on the elves, which I can't get it over. <laughs> Did
0: anything stick out to you visually when you were watching?
2: Yes, there were a lot of things that stuck out to me. Um, I'm going to explain um, in my lengthened analysis on the podcast about how Casa Doom was just so beautiful to me, how I wanted to live there. But also there was this session, the section at the beginning of the prologue of the first episode where we get a little bit of the War of Wrath. It's a quick little brief bit at the very beginning of the episode, but it is just stunning. There's fire everywhere, there's the Nazgul attacking the giant eagles. It is like the the final battle of the First Age of all the good people in the Valor against Morgoth and all the evil orcs and whatnot. and. It is just so amazing to look at. I was so excited when I first watched it. I was like, I want to see this now. Show me this in an adaptation. I want something on the War of Wrath, like yesterday, please.
0: <laughs> I'm really glad to hear you're so passionate about this. Now, I, I also wanted to ask you, is if you could visit anywhere that's been depicted so far in the first two episodes, where would you go? Kazadim.
2: Absolutely. It's
0: so beautiful. That was and a quick answer. I
2: yeah, I knew it just as quick as I knew the answer about my biggest annoyance. Honestly, there's the elves and that that's first and foremost on my mind, but then there are my favorites, the dwarves. That's my favorite race in Middle-earth. I just love them so so much. I just they are my babies, they are my children. Come after them <laughs> at your own risk. I love them so much. And that only is part of it, but when I saw how Kazadum looked looked in its prime before it was destroyed in Lord of the Rings, it was so beautiful. There are waterfalls, there's greenery inside the mountain, which I was not expecting. I thought it would look kind of like how Erebor was depicted, but then again, Erebor was... We also didn't really get to see that in its prime either, for the most part. Um, but the scenery, the greenery, the waterfalls... They used the mirrors to show like light and everything. It was just like so open and so pretty. And I was like, this is not what I've expected like a dwarven city to look like. But it was just so cool. And it didn't feel like it was not dwarven. Like it didn't feel like they were copying the elves or the Numenorians or the people or like anything. Like this looked like a dwarven city. But with just so much like lush greenery and beauty. And it's like, I want to live there. Please. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, one last question. Do you have any theories after watching the first two episodes?
2: I have a lot of theories. I don't know how accurate they are. Some of them I have been like influenced by other reviewers th- talking about theories. Um, some people say that um, one of the humans that Galadriel comes across, his name is Halbrand, people are saying he's Sauron. I personally don't buy that theory as much because Sauron is supposed to be a deceiver. And he's giving off, like, warning signs to try and get her to not trust him. And I feel like if I was trying to trick people, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) I see that. That's fair. But a theory that I am, like, more interested in, and we do kind of get into this as well, is that maybe the stranger that Nori comes across is Gandalf. I'm not sure about that because there are also, like, compelling reasons to believe that he's an evil character. Um, There's, like, a thing with the fire not being hot, which kind of points to evil because Galadriel mentions that the evilness of a place is so much so that the fire can't give off any heat. So there are compelling reasons for that, but there are also compelling reasons in the stranger's behavior and the runes that he draws and everything that make me think that he's Gandalf as well. Um, He also, like, seems pretty close with the Harfoots, which are the ancestors for the hobbits. So that can explain Gandalf's connection with the hobbits as well. But it, it could really be anyone at this point. Um, that's just the theory that makes the most sense to me because it can also be the dead fireflies, all the evil stuff that it seems like the guy is doing could also be accidents because essentially Gandalf is a Maya. So he is like, there's Eru Iluvatar, there's the Valor, and then there are the Mayar. And so they're like he's like third from the top in terms of power, deity kind of status. And he's like If he's just now coming to Earth, and this is his mortal form, he has to get used to it. This can very well be accidental, all of his stuff. So I feel like there's more right now in terms of him being Gandalf. Like, so much so it almost seems obvious, but that could exactly be what people want us. Like, what the showrunners want us. And think. It's like, oh, it's obviously Gandalf, but it's somebody else.
0: So I think it'd be cool either way. That's really interesting. Thank you so much for telling me all about that. And I'm looking forward to hearing about episodes three and four and beyond. Absolutely.
1: So now we're going to toss it to Isabel for... Uh, let,
0: l- me, let me take this title away d- from d- you. D- it's, it's kind of a mouthful. I agree. We're going to be talking about Dahmer, Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story in this next segment. Netflix just came out with a 10-episode drama titled Dahmer, Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer Story. This drama is based around the life and actual murders of notorious serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. Each episode averages around an hour long and has quickly become the number one trending TV show on Netflix. We're going to recap the show, discuss some of my issues with the series, and then decide if it's worth a watch. Please keep in mind that this show depicts very serious subject matter, so if you are uncomfortable with references to this subject matter, Now would be a good time to tune out. The show starts with Jeffrey Dahmer finally getting caught and arrested for his numerous crimes. We see gory depictions of the evidence found in his apartment and the ease with which Dahmer has committed his murders is highlighted. With Dahmer now in police possession, he begins to tell officers his story. The next several episodes are a non-linear telling of Dahmer's life and crimes, occasionally switching to the perspective of his neighbor or father. We find out that Dahmer had a difficult childhood. His mother struggled with mental illness, and his father wasn't always around. And when he was, terrible fighting would occur. It seemed that Dahmer's only interest as a child was dissecting dead animals. When he got older, he found himself uninterested in women, doing poorly in school, and eventually his parents went through a messy divorce, both leaving him to live alone his senior year of high school. To cope? Dahmer turned to alcohol and went on to kill his first victim and experiment with his body. We then see Dahmer get expelled from Ohio State University, discharged from the Army, which eventually led to him living with his grandmother. This is where Dahmer commits his next several murders. He lured men back to hotels or his grandmother's house with promises of drinks or assistance getting home. Then he killed them in his grandmother's basement. During this time, Dahmer develops a record, getting arrested for public indecency and abusing a child. He spends only a year in jail before moving into an apartment in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He lives in a very underserved part of town, which allowed him to easily target young black men. He continues to lure young men back to his apartment and kills them. His neighbor reported a horrible smell coming from Dahmer's apartment on several occasions, but nothing was ever done. His neighbor even saw a young, Laetian boy run out of his apartment, naked and bleeding, and contacted police. However, police allowed Dahmer to take the child back to his apartment, where he was then murdered. It is around episode 6 where the storytelling shifts to a different protagonist. This episode focuses on a young, deaf, black man named Tony. We watch the story of his life unfold, and it is easy to become attached to Tony's sweet and funny personality. He's on his way to making his dreams come true until he meets Dahmer. The two begin to engage in a romantic relationship and the show portrays Dahmer as having a fondness for Tony that he does not have for his other victims. The episode ends with Dahmer killing Tony and his family distraught over his sudden disappearance. The next four episodes focus on the experience of Glenda, Dahmer's neighbor, as well as the families of the victims and their struggle with the police. We see Dahmer go to court, then jail, then eventually get killed in prison. We see families of the victims struggle with how famous Dahmer's become. It's clear that many people are glorifying Dahmer's terrible crimes rather than seeing them as the horrifying acts they really are. The show ends by highlighting how little the police care about their missteps and pointing out that Dahmer's apartment building was destroyed, displacing hundreds of families for a park and memorial that was never built now that you have an idea of what happened in the show let me tell you my thoughts right off the bat i have a few issues with the production of the show i found that the non-linear timeline of the show made it hard to follow at times unless you watch all 10 episodes in a really short amount of time it can be hard to remember where things pick up where things leave off my next issue is in the lighting of the show some scenes were super dark and it made it very difficult to make out what was actually happening on screen It felt like some sequences left me just staring at my reflection in the TV. If it only happened once or twice, I think I would have just let it go, decided that maybe they were trying to go for some kind of tone or atmospheric effect, but it happened so many times that I had to mention it. Next, I found it very jarring that 17-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer is played by the same actor as 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer the show flashed back and forth between dahmer in police custody and teenage dahmer but in every scene i thought that jeffrey dahmer looks the exact same it was hard to tell when he was young when he was old unless you were given context around it my biggest issue with this show was probably in the subject matter itself jeffrey dahmer is portrayed as the protagonist the first five episodes of the show we see his sad childhood and his struggle to relate to others and it feels like the viewers are supposed to feel sympathetic towards Dahmer. It wasn't until episode 6 where Tony takes the role of protagonist that I remembered how nice it is to have a protagonist you actually want to root for. At times, it seemed to me like Jeffrey Dahmer was being portrayed like Joe Goldberg from the Netflix series You. In the show, Joe kills people, but Joe is also a fictional character, and the people he kills are fake. So it's easier to explore the complex mind of a murderer when there aren't any actual families out there who've had their loved ones torn from them. I sort of wish every episode of this series told the story of a victim, like how episode 6 did, rather than follow Jeffrey around all the time. My final issue is with the portrayal of the victim's families. I could not find any proof that families of victims gave any permission for their likeness to be used or their loved ones to be talked about. This show will definitely bring more attention to victims families and i don't think that's okay without families' permission a cousin of a victim came forward saying that seeing herself in the show was re-traumatizing and that no one asked for her permission which is just so sad to hear all in all is this worth a watch um no not worth a watch i think it's exploitative and there are plenty of other scary things to watch that don't use real victim stories so thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this edition of Worth a Watch. So as I just mentioned, Netflix actually didn't get the permission of any of the families of the victims that Jeffrey Dahmer murdered to depict them in this show. What do you guys think about that?
1: So, so like Netflix just did not reach out to any of the families of the victims, like at all, like and they portrayed them and used their names and likeness and everything.
0: Exactly. I couldn't find any proof. In fact, I could only find a cousin of one of the victims who said that seeing herself depicted so accurately was actually deeply re-traumatizing. Yeah,
2: I, I definitely think that there's, this is a part where there's a difference between what you legally can do and what you should do. Because sometimes like, people are like, I'm going to be really nerdy and throw in a Jurassic Park quote. Your scientists were so wrapped up in what they can do that they didn't stop to think of what they should do. Paraphrased. I don't know
1: exactly. I mean, I think that's like a very good way to put it. It's just like, just because you can do it doesn't mean you shouldn't. Uh, Legally,
2: you're allowed to use what is public record, what is factual information. That's the thing. You don't have to get permission to do that. But in very sensitive cases like this where there is some trauma there, there is some horrible things that happened to people who, I mean, obviously didn't deserve it. I think it definitely is something that you should at least try to reach out to them and try to make it as comfortable for them as humanly possible. If you're wanting to do something like this,
1: I definitely think from a legal standpoint that they are okay like they were like technically like quotations legally correct and in the right you know to do it but from a moral standpoint it's just like should you really like they should have like if they did not reach out then it's just like shame on them but if they reached out and they didn't get a response it's like they're just gonna go through with it anyway so i would hope that they did their due diligence morally and reached out but if they did not you know uh you know shame on them and uh you know, I mean, it's it's just it's that's kind of just how the entertainment world goes in a sense. Like, if you don't respond, uh, you know, there's not much you can do afterwards. And it's just like it was public le- public record, so legally they're fine. But m- from a moral standpoint, I would de- hard disagree. Like, I, w- I excuse me, let me rephrase. I'm not a fan of that. You know, if I was in there if in that scenario,
0: I I just think it's awful, and it it kind of really bothers me that before this, at least in. From as far as I knew, I didn't know the names of any of the victims. I didn't know the names of the families, and that's not always a good thing. But I don't know if the families want to be known as the people whose son was murdered by Jeffrey Dahmer. I think this brings a lot more attention to the families now, who probably just want to live their lives in peace. They just Hi. wanna.
1: They already mourned. They're already trying to get over it, or are they? Uh, they already moved on from it or are still currently trying to move on from it and now that this comes up it's just like that could reopen some trauma for them uh you know and that's just not exactly the best thing that you wanted to and the worst
2: part i think is that like not only are they having like no permission or no thought given to them about whether or not this is made they also don't get any input in how it's made so, like, exactly. they can be portrayed in essentially any way. There's, like, with a dramatic, the dramatization of what happened. Like, you can... I would hope you would try to be stick to the facts as much as possible. But if this is, like, for entertainment, there is going to be some dramatizing. There's going to be some exaggerations and other stuff added to it, probably, um, based on, like, how it's framed or how it's shot, implications that can be made... Um, Obviously, I have not seen this, but just from an ethical standpoint, I would not be happy, even in a much less traumatizing situation than this, if I had a story in my life and people portrayed it in a way that was just not flattering or not truthful, I would think that that would be the worst thing ever and it would completely grind my gears that I would not be able to do anything to stop that from happening. So I can only imagine how it would be if this is, a traumatic experience that you've gone through and you try to move on the best you can at least from and then, it and then netflix comes
0: out with this hidden and tv digs show it all back up yeah yeah i something else that bothered me is one of the victims was portrayed to have had a romantic relationship with Def, jeffrey dahmer and as far as i could tell with my research it didn't seem like that was true it didn't seem like this young man had a romantic relationship with jeffrey dahmer it seems like they knew each other, but that in real life they weren't romantic. But suddenly Netflix is making them little boyfriends with each other. I would pitch a bit. And imagine being that that man's mom watching your son or an exact lookalike of your son dating his murderer on TV. I mean, I just, I think it's insane what Netflix did with that show. It's in-
1: that's definitely insane if that is true. And like, obviously, I, again, I have not seen the show i've heard about it but i de- i'm not a fan of uh shows like this that like there's a difference between a documentary about like an event like such like if it was an actual like informant uh, informative uh documentary of sorts then okay i'd be okay watching it because they're not going to they do their due diligence usually in those sorts of documentaries versus something like this where it's just like it's like okay yes it's based on facts and true events and whatnot but it's just like like you were saying, like it's dramatized and it's just like it may or may not be accurate. There may be some, uh, let's just say, like white lies thrown in there. there. Like mm-hmm. the, they're like, oh, like they could have possibly thought this is an innocent lie. It's not going to hurt nobody. You might think that, but this is someone's son or daughter that is no longer with us. Uh, shame on you for thinking that if that was your thought process. So that's just that's just my input on all that.
0: Yeah, and that kind of leads me to a question I wanted to ask you guys. Do you think it's okay to make true crime like dramas as opposed to documentaries? Do you think it's moral or ethical or right in any way?
2: I think when following certain rules, it can be um, ethical, not necessarily, like obviously there will be some people that won't like it, some people that will like it. I think you definitely do need to have the families. On board or at least given some form of control over how their story is being told or you're gonna have to just make up a fictional scenario with fictional people if you want to not do that then that's fine you can make your crime drama with fake people make it so that the real people can't be recognized and you can still do that I was doing a little bit of research for this because I knew you wanted to talk about it obviously um, and one of the actual like defenses of the true crime genre was that it is informative. Obviously, documentaries can be too, but people who maybe won't want to watch a documentary, they learn some things, right or wrong. And they might be accurate information. They might be non-accurate information. But like, how you know to ask for a lawyer when police, you know, arrest you? How you know your rights more? obviously, you're supposed to be informed about them. But if you watch your TV shows, be like, if the character keeps saying, I'm not saying anything until I have my lawyer, then you might know to do that, essentially, even if you wouldn't have otherwise known to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that is the argument that was being made about how things like this can be useful, can be good, can be informational. I think that there is just an ethical line that you have to navigate, like a lot of other subjects quite frankly you need to have a line where it's like okay i want to tell the story if i want to use these people because this is a very sensitive matter that i'm talking about if i want to make this more like a documentary drama i need to make sure that this is not going to cause more harm than good so i think that that's what you would have to do in a situation like that otherwise if you do want to go in with your dramatization of events Make up a different story set it in a different place have different character names make it so that you can't really identify who what is going de- yeah, yeah definitely not the victims like they like you said like, they may not want that out there and as you mentioned with the um, the son who Netflix is portraying to be in this relationship with Dahmer like that wouldn't be as bad if it was just a character, like not based on a person, but when exactly. you, are, you are putting this person's name on this character. This was an actual person that actually existed and with actual family who can be affected by this. So I think if you're going to take that dramatic license and na- especially do it against the wishes of the family or without considering the wishes of the family, you're going to need to make it completely fantastical it'll
0: sell just as well i'm i'm right there with you i think that makes a lot of sense
1: i don't think there's too much else i can add on top of that i mean you kind of basically covered any point i was going to possibly bring up um as far as like you know the argument of um like your original question you know is it useful can it be useful can it be uh informational they kind of can be but i don't think it should be your only source of information per se um as far as like just and just my input on like again with like shows of true crime i'm not the biggest fan of true crime like i get why people like it i mean it's not my cup of tea you know that is what it is i mean i watched uh law and order like the old school law and orders not the svu um i mean blue bloods and whatnot csi uh which you know is like based on crime and whatnot and even like older shows uh I think, I think it was called Dragnet or something. I can't remember exactly what it was called. Um, but it's just like those were based on real events, but the names were changed and whatnot, you know, to protect the innocent. So it's like I feel like you can still get a good story or a show across and just, like, not use the names and their likeness per se. You know, that's just – like, if you don't have – bottom line, if you don't have the permission from the remaining family members uh, to do this – I say don't do it. Moral, moral I, bottom line. I think line. that's
0: a really good point, Sava. I'm glad you said that. And uh, now I'm hoping to shift over to something a little lighter and talk about some eSports.
1: So, yeah. I mean, like, for those who may not know, I'm a huge fan of eSports. And since this is entertainment and video games are a part of entertainment, why not go into some depth analysis Well, not that depth analysis, let's be real. It's not going to be too deep off the deep end. But we're going to talk about esports nonetheless, as Akron is home to one of the best esports organizations uh, in the nation with a bunch of teams that we have representing the University of Akron. I'm not going to go in-depth on all of them, but I'm going to talk about the ones that happened within the last week. So first off, we're going to start off with our Rocket League team. Uh, On September the 21st, your Akron zips for the Rocket League team. We're playing a doubleheader against Kent State. And then north east north er, eastern. Now, Sava,
0: I'm yeah. going to have to interrupt you there. What is a double header?
1: So a double header is where there's just two matches on the same day. So take, for example, like a baseball game. Say the Indians played the twins and it's a double header. They have one game that starts at like noon and then by like a later date and time. They are on the same day at another time. They just start another game. That's a double header. Got it. Thank you. <laughs> You're good, but uh, they had a doubleheader.
2: Can you describe what Rocket League?
1: <laughs> is? Uh, I should probably explain. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Rocket League. I <laughs> uh, see. I got so excited and caught up in just talking about esports. I just went off the rails with it. <laughs> so Rocket League is a. If you, it's clearly a video game. But I mean, have you ever watched a game of soccer like at all? I or you... played
2: soccer for like ten years. Soccer is my jam.
1: Soccer is my jam as well. I mean, Isabel, have you played Never... soccer?
0: Never watched a soccer game
1: never watched okay
0: i played in kindergarten
1: okay oh. so i mean you got a general idea so imagine just soccer but instead of people running around kicking a ball it's just like a giant massive soccer ball in a stadium enclosed walls and ceiling and you use cars with rocket boost <laughs> instead of people Sounds
0: interesting. Very, it's I mean, it's an, that's an imaginative concept right there
1: it is a very imaginative concept but is a fun concept nonetheless but the premise of rocket league is it's a three in this uh scenario it's three on three uh each match is five minutes long uh you know whoever scores the most points wins if at the end of the five minutes it ends in overtime if it ends at a tie they will go into overtime and it goes for about a minute whoever scores you know the most in overtime wins uh best of five for each match so that is the premise of rocket league also if i highly highly suggest if any of this interests you at all and you are wondering what does this look like just go they have a the esports organization has a whole twitch page twitch.tv forward slash zips esports uh you can watch any of the videos of the streams and you can kind of get a sense of what is going on Some of the tricks that they do, like I'm talking like they will take a car with the boost in the game and fly through the air and hit a ball from one side of the field to the other and make a goal is insane. Like, I can't do that. I used to play Rocket League. I am not that good, but it's a fun thing to watch nonetheless.
0: It looks (laughs) very interesting.
1: (laughs) As you pull it up on your laptop, you're just like, what is this insanity? (laughs) What is this?
0: It's like extreme
2: mario kart like it's like reminds me of like one of those like battles it's like like a mario
1: kart battle yeah but instead of you know fight to the death it's soccer yeah exactly but that is the premise of rocket league um and if i keep going and there's something else that you don't understand just let me know i will do my best to explain i am not a rocket league desk analyst like you know the guys over there at the esports teams but uh, i will do my darndest to try but back to it Uh, September the 21st, you know, the Zips, they were playing a doubleheader in the first match. They took on, you know, our friends up the road, uh, the Kent state electric chickens, or excuse me, you know, the golden (laughs) flashes, uh, Akron took the series from Kent 3-0, not a big surprise. Uh, and then they went on, exactly, go Zips. They went on to take the series from them and then, uh, they went to face Northwestern. Uh, they won three to one. Uh, both matches ended with a dub for the Zips, you know, them continuing their 6-0 and undefeated streak. And at that time, they were 18-1 and in the ESC, which stands for Esports uh, Collegiate. So basically, they're just in a giant collegiate league. Think like a league for football or whatever, but just esports. And specifically, each game has a league of their own. So they are 18-1 and, one, 18 and one in their Rocket League league.
2: So let me get this straight. Our Rocket League team are 18 and one. Yes. And our football team is
0: what?
1: Uh, I believe at the time of the recording, which is the 29th of September, they are one and three, one and two, I believe.
0: We need to be We need to be investing more heavily in our esports because they are football got like a whole new stadium.
2: There's
1: the esports stadium. So there is no esports stadium, excuse me, but um. They have a
2: room in football stadium.
1: So I mean, so there is. They do actually have like two different rooms, well, three different rooms. Uh, For those who are students here at the University of Akron, uh, if you are at all interested in esports, just like there, you don't have to play on a team. There are clubs like there. I used to be in the Discord. I'm not in it right now because my life kind of got busy. Uh, but I know a lot of people uh, who were in the clubs before they graduated and who loved their time there. Uh, if you search on the University of Akron page uh, just search eSports in your my Akron uh, you will find this uh, page for the eSports. Uh, I believe there is a discord link there you can join and there's a multitude of clubs you could join there's a fighting game club, uh, overwatch, a bunch of other games you could join up bunch of uh, Akron students in there you can uh, definitely hang out with. I must say you have to be a University of Akron student to join that. You can't like, you know, come on campus and hang out and play in these spots. But if you do happen to be a student, uh, one of the rooms that you can go to is by the honors dorms. I can't be exact with locations because I'm bad with street names. So I can't remember what the quote unquote technical street address is of the location. But if you go near the honors dorms, Near the center of campus, you will surely find uh, one of the rooms. Just show your zip card at any of these rooms. You can play on computers, all free games, uh, controllers, mice, headsets. They got the setups, you know, whatever you want to play, you can play. Uh, The other room is behind the Student Union. Uh, So if you go out the backside of Union by Shrankfield, it's right behind Shrankfield. That's another spot you can do the same thing. And the final location, which um, you mentioned uh is by the football stadium that is exclusively for the players of, on the teams that are on the varsity teams i see they will play there usually sometimes they uh live stream from there their matches uh it's a treat you know to see i've seen them in there a couple times it's kind of cool but um but yeah that's that's so if you're interested in esports at all definitely check those places out uh don't be afraid to ask don't be afraid to get involved with it i definitely recommend if you're a fan of video games get involved with esports here at akron but back to the rocket league team they are 18 and 1 better than our football team i hate to say it but they qualified for the crl east uh which is the collegiate rocket league for the fifth time since the esports organization has formed about five or six years ago they are now in the league Uh, they qualified for the fifth time in a row so it's quite impressive they are Wow. amazing wow i can sense the enthusiasm from across the room here <laughs> it is getting hot in here but and then yesterday last night on the 28th uh the team the rocket league team again had another doubleheader. this time another. they first yeah another one
0: they are busy people over well they're
1: there. busy people you know they gotta be you know Everywhere they gotta be winning games once. Wow. well they don't go they don't travel it's just like they play online uh i do that
0: makes it easier it, it
1: does make it easier exactly you know Little the power <laughs> the power of the internet <laughs> but uh they had another double header so they played two matches
2: but do their thumbs get tired
1: well they're playing on mouse and keyboard i think i mean if they play with controller i mean i would suspect with the moves they're pulling i would definitely suspect they play on controller um I don't know if this has changed, but I remember when I first got interested in you know joining for esports and getting involved on the varsity team, this is a story for another time, but long story short, there was a segment where I was reading where I believe it said that you need to have a, G- a GPA of 2.0 or so, and you need to, if you're on the team as a backup or even as one of the main players, you need to have a physical regimen so it's like they actually make sure that you are working out or so so nonetheless I think you know they're probably pretty healthy you know and their thumbs are not sore
0: physical regimen
1: well nothing too serious it's just I think this again this was like five years ago when I read this and God, gotcha. I just dated myself so hard by saying that. I dated <laughs> myself. years ago. Yeah. Let's not get into that right now.
2: <laughs> to distract from that, it does kind of make sense that they have somewhat of a physical regimen, especially since um, if they're playing video games, like if that is their sport, it's not very, like it's not really a physical it's, activity as much. It's definitely a mental one and your hands definitely get involved.
1: It's def- it requires
2: yeah. some kind of stamina just a different kind of stamina
1: it definitely is like a like I mean much how people say oh you know um you know football you know football athletes some people like we argue I'm in the marching band we say that marching band is a we are athletes of sorts uh the same could be said for esports they are athletes of sorts Mm -hmm. in a different way so it makes sense that they want to make sure that they they are you know not obviously like they don't gotta go to the gym or the rec center like pumping iron for like Mm -hmm. two hours a day you know doing squats and everything but they want to make sure that they're healthy you know you know not
2: just sitting at their computers the whole time yes
1: exactly and that's a stereotype that i you know will always speak against sometimes there were people like oh people who love east or who play esports uh are just like a bunch of nerds and who are not in the best shape it's like uh, some of my best friends or some people who i know who are somewhat involved in esports and somewhat used to excuse me play on a professional level in a sense or an amateur level actually make sure that they are taking care of themselves and are actually like relatively fit even before they were like oh, i should probably work out you know when i join an organization uh and it's just like you know that's just like one of the many stereotypes but i'm not here to argue against that right now um (laughs) i'm just trying to
2: stop sidetracking you (laughs) no you're good i mean
1: we sidetracked during uh I, what was the show name again? You know, where we talked about the tree killer, you know, oh, with the notebook. You know, yeah. I can't remember what that show was. You know, I said I wouldn't bring it you up again. You are going to see
0: me in the parking lot after this, Sava.
1: I am so glad that uh, I am going to just sprint out of here as soon as we are done here. But <laughs> I'll
2: bring the popcorn.
1: <laughs> you're just going to have the popcorn. Just be like, I'm watching this all oh, day. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the Rocket League team, you know, as healthy as they are, you know, Nothing could stop them from completely destroying Miami, in a sense. I mean, Miami did put up a close fight, but the Zips clutched it in the end, winning against Miami uh, 3-2. to And then shortly after, they had their match against Northern Kentucky. It was another close one, but the Zips clutched up, got another W for themselves, and, you know, had me a bit nervous, but, you know, at the end of the day, a win's a win, and the Zips Rocket League team is now 8-0, in the esports collegiate
0: love to hear it love we to love see to hear it, it baby
1: and now we move on to very briefly the valorant team on the 22nd of september the zips took on the the toledo rockets try saying that five times fast the toledo rockets esports organization and they won the first map 13 to 8 oh, and i should probably explain you know how valorant works real fast i'm sitting here all in the zone and i look up and i'm just like you, like, you guys look at me, it's like, we are lost, help us, please. <laughs> it's so, okay, I got
2: Google.
1: You got Google. So, for those who don't know, or who would like to hear my somewhat, you know, expert, armchair expert, you know, explanation of what Valorant is, Valorant is a first-person shooter. It is a cartoony-ish, almost like a shell, shell? shell? I cannot talk correctly. <laughs> a cell shaded art style in a sense it looks kind of cartoony but it's 5v5 and if you ever played a game called CS:GO, it is very much like that uh this for, looks
0: like fortnite
1: it <laughs> well fortnite's coming up soon and this is far it might have some uh art style similarities to fortnite but it's definitely not fortnite it plays very differently from fortnite i can tell you that much right now um But Valorant is very much like CSGO. If you have played CSGO, then you'll know what I'm talking about. But for those who don't know, uh, I will break it down for you as simple as I can. Uh, Valorant, there is 30 rounds and it's a 5v5 game. So, you know, if there is 15 wins on both sides, it ends in a draw. Uh, The victory can how to win in Valorant is as such. The first team to win 16 rounds wins the map and the round is over immediately. So, to win a map, you just need to win, get 16 wins, because it's best of 30. You know, I obviously can't catch up if you won 16 times. Um, the maps will switch spawn sides after about, I think it's 15 rounds. And so, if, you know, they're on a winning streak and they go 15-0 and 0 in the first half, then they just need to win one more, and they go. Uh yeah, that's victory conditions. Each round is about a minute and 45 in duration, so it's a minute and 45 seconds.
2: That's a quick round.
1: It's fast-paced. It's very fast-paced. I
2: there's like
3: 30
1: of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there. I mean, there is 30, but it's just like each round goes by in just under two minutes. So it can go, some rounds go a little bit longer than two minutes because the objective in Valorant is to, there are two ways to win a round. Either A, you eliminate all five players on the opposing team or B, you plant what is called the spike in one of the two designated, two or three designated spots on the map. So if you're the team that is attacking and you plant the spike, there is a certain amount of time before that spike goes off. You can still win if you eliminate the entire enemy team, but if you're the team that planted that spike and it goes off, you win the round. If you are the defending team, and you did not eliminate all the players but you diffused the spike that is a win for you because you won that way so there's a couple different ways a bunch of different strategies that you can use to win a round of valorant and the same kind of goes for csgo it shares the same kind of rule set uh, but that's that for valorant uh, it uses a buy system i'm not going to go too deep on this but basically at the beginning of each round Depending on how many players you eliminated in that round or how well your team did, if you won the round or not, you will get more money so that you can buy more tools to help you win each round. So that's just kind of how it goes. And, you know, sometimes there are strategies where it's like, we're not going to buy anything for a couple rounds, save up our money and get a huge swing of momentum. A lot of strategy, a lot of plays involved. It's definitely worth a watch if you are interested at all. But, uh, yeah, now that I'm done going on about the rules and the technicalities, let's actually talk about, you know, how our team did. Well, like I said, they took on Toledo, and they won the first map 13-8, which was a nice bait-and-switch play by Panda and Eastrub in round 8 on the first map. Definitely a good highlight if you did not get to watch the match. Definitely recommend seeing it. It had me picking up my mouth off the floor. It was pretty impressive. (laughs) The second map I gotta though,
0: check that out now.
1: Now now you need to. The second map was won uh, by the Zips as well, almost seeing the game go into overtime, as the final score was 13 to 11. And this put the Zips at 4 0 in the ESC Conference for Valorant. And we then. They are killing. They're cracked. I'm telling you. Like, all the teams we have are relatively cracked. They're pretty good.
2: Except right. for football.
1: Except for football. I, mean, I hate to say it, but yeah, <laughs> the football team is. They could, I think they need to take some notes from the esports team. You yeah. know, maybe obviously, you know the skill set doesn't apply, but you know they could probably learn something. But uh, the twenty seventh of September, the Valorant team came back again. Uh, they took on Central Michigan University with the first round going to your Zips thirteen to four, and then they went to the second map, also going to the Zips. It was a thirteen and zero clean sweep, and the Valorant team is five and zero in the ESC after 13. their win over CMU.
0: Thirteen and zero.
1: They went thirteen and zero on a map, and they just clean swept them.
2: Wow. I'm thinking football should take notes from their training regiment too.
1: <laughs> I mean, again, the train its like the concepts don't exactly apply. But I mean, hey, there may be something that they're doing. It might right. be better
2: than they're doing now.
1: That maybe. Is an intense maybe. Win
0: right
2: there. I mean, 18-0?
1: it was a pretty intense win. They, uh, didn't,
0: they didn't give them a chance. Not
1: quite. There's. Wow. There's some times where I'm just like, there's, there are some scenarios, and I'm not obviously going to explain and go through the entire match because we would be here.
0: That's a different episode.
1: That we would be here all <laughs> night if I talked about one match. Um, but there were some moments where, you know, uh, it looked like Central Michigan, you know, could have had the upper hand and they just couldn't pull it out, and the zips were just coming out on top almost left, right, and center every single time. So, I mean, props to the Valorant team for uh, their swift victory over Central Michigan. And finally, you mentioned Valorant looked like it, and I'm gonna mention it. That's Fortnite. Fortnite. It's for Fortnite some Fortnite. Time. Now, while we do have a Fortnite team, and like there are some players who play solos, this was not exactly about the esports team. Uh, the Akron Esports Scholastic Showdown happened, which was just a giant tournament. A bunch of solo players came together and played a bunch of matches. It was a great time. I was invited out to do something at the event. Unfortunately, I couldn't commit, so I regret missing the event even though I am not the biggest Fortnite fan. it's the we'll, next time. We'll if there if if you're in the esports organization, uh hit, you know, definitely if you do something like this again, I will definitely try to attend. I regret missing it. But regardless, the Scholastic Showdown went down regardless with or without me. There were many, many players competing across 8 games that were being held. But there could only be one winner. And the player that won was a player named Sigma. He was the winner of the Fortnite Showdown for Solos. And the prize pool was $1,000 to go to him. So congratulations nice. to what? him and his victory in the Fortnite tournament.
0: I got to start getting good at Fortnite.
1: And a they thousand say $2,000? Yeah, $1,000. Wow. He won $1,000 for being one of the best players there at Fortnite people say there's no money in video games that's they what i'm what saying like the, people say there's no money in playing video games and i have to disagree and just as a it's quick to
2: be good enough like exactly
1: like listen you yeah. should be doing like playing in elementary and middle school is just like sav you should be doing your homework but i gotta get better at the video games hold on i'm gonna make money later how do you know that trust me i can see in the future yeah <laughs> no i can't but you know i could you i just could, knew, I just knew. And then as a quick short update, uh, the club Smash team started off their season 1 and0 with a two and0 series win over uh, Coffeeville, CC. And I don't follow the club teams too much, but I just thought I'd shout out you know the Smash team that decided shout to just you know...
0: Smash team.
1: Do you ever play Smash Brothers?:
0: I love Smash Brothers, but I'm really bad at it.
1: Who's your favorite character? Do
0: you want to take a guess?
1: Mm, can you do you know what game they're from could you give me a hint at least
0: if i tell you the game that's the name of the character
1: uh is it legend of, no it's zelda no no hmm.
0: kirby i really always, kirby? i main kirby you main kirby i okay. love kirby because i always fall off the platform
1: and you just, but just if float I'm back with
0: kirby, then i can float back you're exactly. super safe with kirby exactly fair enough i love kirby
1: i mean fair enough i mean to each their own i mean what's your main my main? Yeah. Oh, uh, I have too many characters Kirby I play. Looks
3: cute. <laughs> Thank you. Isn't he cute? He's K- so cute. For those
1: who don't know and are probably looking at their devices right now, Kirby is just a giant pink ball of adorableness. <laughs> uh, I can't blame anyone who mains Kirby and, like, just for him being Kirby absolutely best adorable. Main. Kirby, number one. One of the
2: image suggestions is cute. <laughs> that should tell you all you need to know. That's how you, you can don't... filter for kir- Kirby. Exactly. Cute. There you, have you go. a main though, Sava? You no, I do ha- I do have
1: a main, but I was going to ask Natalie, do you play Smash Brothers at all? Have you played Smash Brothers at I all I have ever? not
2: played Smash Brothers. I played some other Mario games, but okay. not
1: this one. So, as far as Isabel's asking, you know, who my main is, uh, like there's too many great play like too many characters that I like to play as and only a couple I'm actually good at though. If I had to pick the number one character that I'm best at, it would probably be Joker. Uh, closely followed, uh, who who is my second most played character? I think it was, oh gosh, uh, Sa- uh, Samus. That is like my yeah, top two. Yeah,
0: Samus. Okay.
1: Samus those Samus and Joker. Joker takes the number one spot, but Samus is like right behind him. I like
0: Samus. Samus is I cool. I like Kirby more.
1: Fair enough. I mean, Kirby is pretty cute. So, I mean, kind of hard to beat. But with that said, that is your eSports update. Uh, As always, you know, you can get your updates here on this podcast for eSports, or if you want to, go to their Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash Zips eSports, and give them a follow, uh, and you'll know whenever they go live, uh, whenever they're deciding to broadcast a match. And if you do happen to watch a match live, tell them that the entertainment podcast that is rebooted uh, sent them your way so we sent you their way so you know nudge nudge wink wink you know shameless plug
0: shout out shout out shout e-sports. out Shout, shout out. out. entertainment rebooted. Now,
1: now we talked about you know true crime we talked about the lord of the rings we talked about some esports and video games what's one thing that we don't like or some of us like i'll tell you what that is and if you listen to me live on air you'll know what it is it's time for another good segment of mine it's wordle smack talk time now for those who may have not never played wordle i'm gonna give a quick rundown on wordle wordle is a popular word game that you can play on your computer or phone any mobile device that has internet access uh you have six guesses to guess a five letter word and it uses a knockout system so if the if you guess the letter or the word story which it was not today's word i have to preface that every time i explain this to someone (laughs) <laughs> uh, so, if the letter lights up green, it means, hey, it's in the right spot. Uh, the letters in that letter's in today's word. If it turns yellow, it means that letter's in today's word. It's not in the right spot. And if it gets blacked out, that just means, hey, uh, none of these letters or the word is, to, that's not it today. And it blacks out. So The
2: letter is not in the word.
1: Yes. So, like if you guess the letter S and it, you know, blacks out, that means it's not in that, it's not part of the word for today.
0: Now, I that is a also question. not a hint for today. That is not, not a hint not for today hint. at all. No. Sava, question. Yes. So how is our eSports team for Wordle doing? Do you have an update on them?
1: So we don't have an eSports team for Wordle. Are funny. you kidding me? No. I mean, I wouldn't consider uh, Wordle to be an eSports game, but, I mean, some people on social media like to boast about their Wordle streaks who, you know, yeah. think they're you know, bona fide experts. And I got to say to those people, uh, if you ever listen to me live on air, uh, I will do everything in my power to ruin the Wordle of the day for you and just ruin your streak. So be thankful that this is a podcast and you can choose to listen to this after the Wordle is done. But we're talking about today's Wordle, Thursday, September the 29th of 2022. Wordle number 467. Now, Boo. Yeah. Boo. I didn't like this word. You didn't like this word? I was no. about to say, we all tried to solve today's wordle. Uh, you know, who wants to start first as to uh, trying to guess today's wordle? You know, how many guesses did it take you, Isabel?
3: Took
0: me three guesses.
1: Took you three guesses? Took me three. What was your, like, first word that you guessed, you know, out of um, curiosity?
0: I, I guess I start with irate. I R A T E. Okay. Irate. Like Interesting start.
1: And you got it in three. Awesome.
0: That is a I good strategy. I went irate, then mound to get the rest of the vowels, and Mm. then I went in for skull.
1: S-C-A-L-D.
0: Awful word. (laughs) Don't like it. Hate it. Hate wordle.
1: I guess we should have put a spoiler warning that we were about to say the word, but oh well. You You
0: know know what? Well, you did
2: say you were going to ruin it for people. I feel like that is. You, you have been warned at that
1: point. Exactly. You, you had a fair warning. You knew it was coming. But, we uh, didn't
2: say spoiler warning, but he said it in not so many words. We'll add that in post. Yeah.
3: yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Fine.
1: Fair enough. Uh, but Natalie, you know, did you take a crack at today's wordle? Did you solve today's wordle?
2: I did solve it. And if I knew how to spell, I would have... Also gotten it in three, (laughs) but since I didn't know how to spell, and spelling is actually, believe it or not, important in this game, I guessed it in four. (laughs) So my first guess was fried, like fried chicken, F-R-I-E-D. D D was in the correct space, obviously. Um, Then I guessed blood. Interesting. Um, Yes, that's just what I came up with next for more vowels.
1: Fair enough, yeah
2: um d obviously in the right place and then l was in the word but in the wrong place and then i guessed scald s-k-a-l-d because i didn't know how to spell Uh. it (laughs) oh my god and obviously
1: we got a spell check for scald on aisle two yeah
2: (laughs) i I thought i could guess it. i knew it was between a k or a c but it took with the k so i thought that's how you spelled it so then obviously every other letter was correct and I was trying to figure out what the second letter is, and I just guessed C, and that was right. And I was like, oh, so I guess there are two spellings of Scald, and I guessed the wrong one. I never, typical.
1: I never would have guessed that you, that there is a you know way to spell Scald, but it's with a K instead of a C, and it probably has a different meaning. That's I, interesting. I
0: wonder if there's some kind of British something, because I know Wordle was originally British, mm-hmm. made by a British man.
1: I'm skald, not 100% on S-K-A-L-D, that.
2: SKALD historical noun. In ancient Scandinavia, a composer and reciter of poems honoring heroes <laughs> and their deeds. Interesting. That was definitely what you were thinking. <laughs>
1: about I, th- when th- you I typed think that, that is right? def- definitely I think that's a more interesting, you know, word yes. of skald than what today's Marion definition Webster, was. an
0: ancient Scandinavian poet.
1: Interesting.
2: If
0: but if that would have been the real Wordle, scold but with a K, I would have <laughs> rioted. <laughs>
1: You would have been like, "What is this?" That's, nah,
0: that's horrible. That's torturous. And then, so scold is better than scold. Which scold? Yes. C is better than K.
1: Noted. And then, as for me with today's wordle, uh, I mean, I'm right there with you. It took me four guesses. Uh, mainly because i kind of goofed off on my first guess i actually used the word story as my first one because because <laughs> like whenever i do my wordle segment live on air i you always say like st- if you guess the word story as the example so that was like what's what's a good word to start with i was like oh story i say it like every single time and i like didn't exactly like I, I got story's the story's
0: f- not bad it's not a horrible S-T, first word those are both strong ones yeah. r is good and why is like, it's like a little secret that, that comes in later. It'll throw you sometimes off.
1: Exactly. I mean, I had the letter S, so, I mean, we were good. But, you know, from I've there, it took me a couple a guesses. I've
2: worse than that. Like, there have been times where I, like, I know a letter is in the word, and then I don't include it in a guess because my brain just goes somewhere else. Exactly. And then I get so frustrated with myself. It happens that way sometimes. It's like, I just wasted that.
1: Exactly. And then, obviously, you know, we had the other definition of scald but for the actual word s-c-a-l-d scald the definition is to uh quote to burn with or as if hot if with hot liquid or steam you know and quote obviously webster dictionary knows what they're talking about so i mean hey so with that being said i mean hey we all solved today's wordle so i mean we're on our way to a wordle streak of you know, insert ginormous number here for, you know, <laughs> I will say, uh, I am curious to see how long I will actually go now that I'm actually like actively trying to have a Wordle Street going. uh, You know, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, maybe I'll solve Rubik's Cube at the same time. I've been trying to solve one and I have not solved one still while doing this. So. we
0: have faith in you. You'll get there. You
1: know, fingers crossed. You know, people always tease me what will happen first? Uh, Sava solves a Rubik's Cube or uh, he'll graduate first you know we'll see what happens
0: Hmm. maybe you could do it at the same time you bring a Rubik's Cube to your graduation (laughs) and maybe
2: that's when you'll get it I solved
1: solved the Rubik's Cube before I walk across stage with a diploma in hand yes so technically I would have solved it before I graduated but I guess yeah.
0: yeah yeah I think that wraps up the first episode of entertainment rebooted
1: i love it yes
0: Woo. Yep. thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed the first episode of entertainment rebooted be sure to check us out on sundays at 1 p.m on wzip 88.1 and we'll see you next time